Thank you for joining us for episode 433 of Live Happy Now. When it comes to our health, most of us believe that we just have to live with ailments and declining well-being as we grow older. But this week's guest is about to flip the script on everything you thought you knew about health and happiness. I'm your host, Paula Phelps, and this week I'm talking with the mother of mindfulness, Dr. Ellen J. Langer. Ellen is highly regarded as one of America's most influential psychologists, and in her new book, The Mindful Body, she presents decades of research that shows how our thoughts and perspective can change our health. She's here to tell us how we can use the mind-body connection to rethink what we believe to be true and explains how our thoughts could be undermining our health and what we need to do about it. Let's have a listen. Dr. Langer, thank you so much for being on Live Happy Now. My pleasure, Paula. You have written many books, but your latest one is truly remarkable. It has had me absorbed since the moment I got it. Well, actually, before I even got it in the mail. And I have to say that one of the first things that struck me about it was the subtitle, and that is Thinking Our Way to Chronic Health. And I love the idea of chronic health. Can you tell us what that means? Well, you know, we have a sense of as we get older, we're going to become sick and we have little control over being sick. And all of the work, hopefully we'll talk about some of it now, suggests to me that, no, we don't have to get sick. We don't have to go to doctors. And I'm not putting down the medical world. You know, certainly if I just broke my arm, I'd go to the hospital. But there are so many ways we can take care of ourselves. So much control that we have that people are totally oblivious to. So I saw it as an opportunity for me to make people aware of all this control by doing all of this research. And do you find any pushback from people initially? You know, it, when it's really interesting. I would expect it, right? <laughs> but doctors know they don't know. and But they're under the impression, I think, that you're going to heal faster if they pretend they know. And I, I think that it depends on the particulars. But most of the time that what we need to do is exploit the power and uncertainty. And let me talk to you about mindfulness because that's the the basis of all of this. And when I'm talking about mindfulness, it has nothing to do with meditation. It's the simple process of noticing. Now, why then aren't we all mindful all the time? Because most of the time, we think we know. And when we think we know, we don't pay any attention. But if you simply notice five new things about the environment, the person you're living with, talking to, five new things about your work, what happens is you come to say, gee, I didn't know it as well as I thought I did. And then your attention naturally goes to it. And when we're actively noticing the neurons are firing, and our research has found that it's literally and figuratively enlivening. So it feels good and it's good for us. Now, what people are taught by parents, by speakers, myself excluded, no, <laughs> um, are absolutes. You know, you go to school and they tell you things like, oh, I don't know, one and one is two. So Paula, how much is one and one? Oh, I guess it's two. No, not always. If you're adding one watt of chewing gum plus one watt of chewing gum, one plus one is one. If you're adding one pile of laundry plus one pile of laundry, one plus one is one. One cloud plus one cloud, one plus one. So in the real world, one plus one doesn't equal two as often as that does. But once we think we know, we stop paying attention. So I'm sorry, Paula, for the rest of your life now, if somebody asks you how much is one and one, you're going to have to sit up and pay attention to the context <laughs> to get the answer. Well, because I'm what always 
already a writer, so they think I can't okay. do math, and they're not <laughs> okay. wrong. So <laughs> That's great. Let me tell you something important that happened to me a while ago. I was at this horse event, and this man asked me if I'd watch his horse for him because he was going to get a hot dog for him. Well, I'm Harvard, Yale all the way through. Nobody knows better than I. Horses don't eat me. That's the starting point. He comes back with the hot dog, and the horse ate it. Oh, my everything I thought I knew, now I realized I might not know. Now, some people in, in hearing this or figuring out that they don't know very much might be you know, worried. But for me, I was excited because it meant all sorts of possibilities open up. And that's what this book is about, possibilities. So there was a study I did. I don't know if you know it, although I talk about it in this book, so you'll pretend you did, even if you didn't read it yet. <laughs> How far is the, it? Because I'm, I'm like two thirds uh, through. Okay. It's, I'm sure. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm sorry. I put you on the spot. <laughs> We're good. Uh, okay. So Basically, this was the first test of the mind-body unity idea, which goes through this new book. Now, mind-body unity means mind-body, they're one. And if they're one, then wherever you put the mind, you're necessarily putting the body. You're thinking about, my gosh, all the places I can go with my mind. And that's going to have an effect on my health and well-being. So in this first study, we took old men to a timeless retreat that oh you know it okay, oh my gosh i love yeah. this i was telling a friend about this yesterday that this blew my mind and and now i want to create a retirement home like that okay so <laughs> what we did we retrofitted the retreat to 20 years earlier we had old men live there for a week as if they were their younger selves that means that they talked about the past in the present tense okay as well as other things now just a week right what we found was that their hearing improved, their vision improved, their memory improved, their strength improved, and they looked noticeably younger. And to me, this was incredible because when have you ever heard a 90-year-old's hearing improve without exactly. any medical intervention? So in this new book, I talk about all the new research testing this mind-body unity idea. The next study we did in that series was with chambermaids. If women are listening, they'll find this especially interesting. So we asked the chambermaids, how much exercise do you get? They said, oh, I'm too tired. Exercise is what you do after work, so I don't get any exercise. So we divided them into two groups. We took one group, and we taught them that their work was exercise. They were told making a bed was like working on this machine at the gym and so on. So at the end, we have two groups. One who believes their work is exercise. The other group doesn't realize it. We take many, many measures before we start. And at the end, simply changing your mindset resulted in people losing weight, a change in body mass index, waist to hip ratio, and their blood pressure came down. All right, let me hurry along here <laughs> to the, the newest research, although there are many in between these two, testing this mind-body unity. So we inflict a wound. Now, it would have been more dramatic if I could really hurt people, but I didn't want to do that. And, you <laughs> like know, an arm and, off or and the review board wouldn't let me even if I did live in that world. But so it's a minor wound. And people are in front of a clock. For a third of the people, the clock is going twice as fast as real time. For a third of the people, the clock is going half as fast as real time. For a, a third of the people, it's real time. The question we're asking is how long does it take the wound to heal? Well, it turns out the wound heals based on perceived time, clock time, not real time. We have so much control over everything and we're simply blind to it. 
you know, that I think, although I, I don't have data specifically for this, as you can imagine when I tell you how hard it would be to do the studies, that the major cause of illness is stress. Yes. Major cause. Now, stress is psychological. And so if you say to yourself, you know, and it's also the case that when we're stressed, two things are going on. The first is we think something's going to happen. And the second is when it happens, it's going to be awful. Well, it turns out we can't predict. And if you think about it, you, you go back over the times you've been stressed, almost all the things we're stressed about never even happen. Right. It's the stuff or, we're not thinking about that gets us. <laughs> so if you said to yourself, what are three reasons this thing I'm scared of uh, won't happen? And you're usually able to generate them. So you went from thinking it's definitely going to happen to maybe it will, maybe it won't. So you immediately feel better. But now what I think people should do is say, let's assume it happens. What are three, five reasons that it's actually an advantage? And you can always okay. come up with things. Now, what people don't realize is that events don't come prepackaged. You know, this is a good thing. This is a bad thing. It all depends on the way we understand our world. So the more mindful you are, the more potential understandings of any event you can come up with. And an example I've used too often, but I'm... Um, can't come up with another one on the spot now. <laughs> so let's do it. Let's again. say, okay, let's say you and I go out to lunch and the food is wonderful. Wonderful. It's a win. You and I go out to lunch. The food is awful. Wonderful. I'll eat less and that'll be better from my I waistline. Like that. All right. There's always a way of interpreting things. It's also true for people, which, which we don't tend to realize that we tend to see people by dispositions, you know, Paula, you really are getting on my nerves because you're so inconsistent. I'm getting on your nerves because I'm so gullible. Well, it turns out for every single negative ascription we can give to somebody, negative way we understand what they're doing, there's an equally strong but oppositely balanced alternative. What is negative is equally positive. So you're not inconsistent. From your perspective, you're flexible. I am not gullible. From my perspective, I'm trusting. And this is true no matter what words we come up with to insult ourselves or other people. So now, you know, all the times you're stressed because I keep trying to change you. I can't stand you so inconsistent. Now that I realize you're being flexible, hey, you know, now I appreciate you. As I appreciate you, you appreciate me because we're both less judgmental. Our relationship improves. And as our relationship improves, we get more support. And with that support, we're going to experience less stress and we're and going to end up healthier. I, I love the way you tie that all back together. As we talk about health, you know, it's really clear that we have turned our, the power of our health over to our practitioners. Yes. Will you talk about how we can kind of start reclaiming control of our health from our practitioners? Because to your point, they don't know everything. Oh, well, you can challenge them, but why bother? What, right. I, would, so, what I would suggest is that we stay healthy in the first place and that when we have symptoms, we engage in what I'll talk to you about after the next three things you want to talk about, <laughs> attention to symptom variability. Let me throw one thing in that is a one-liner that I've come up with that's so meaningful to me. You can ask yourself with anything, is it a tragedy or an inconvenience? 
And almost all the time you realize, so what? I burned the dinner. So what? I missed the bu- you know, bus. So what? I didn't get the project done on time. And, you know, just by asking that question, then we relax. And again, as we're relaxing, we're becoming uh, happier and healthier. Mm-hmm. What we need to understand is that symptoms, no matter what we have, if we're depressed, we're stressed, we have uh, Parkinson's disease, multiple sclerosis, you know, a, a broad range of things. The mistaken assumption people make is that their symptoms are going to stay the same or get worse. Well, right. it turns out nothing only goes in one direction. Now, so what we did, we took people with major diseases and we set this up where we were going to just call them at random times throughout the day, throughout the week, and ask them, so how do you feel now? Is it better or worse than before? And why? Okay, now what happens, the first thing you see is that, gee, I'm not stressed all the time, or I'm not in pain all the time. So you immediately feel a little better. Second, by asking why, why does it hurt now and it didn't before? You're going on a mindful search, and I didn't mention it explicitly, but several experiments that we've done show just by becoming more mindful, you live longer. So it's very potent, even if you stop there. And then finally, if you look for a solution, you're much more likely to find it. And you're engaged and engagement itself is the essence of being mindful. And you're taking care of yourself. So you feel good about it. And we've done this now with people who have Parkinson's stroke, multiple sclerosis, arthritis, chronic pain, depression, and just imagine stress. So Paula, let's say you feel you're stressed all the time. No one is stressed all the time. It's just that when you're not stressed, you're not thinking about being stressed. Oh, that's a great point. And then you get stressed again. So point A, you're thinking about it. Point C, you're thinking about it. And you assume, you know, it's all the time. And you do this thing. How do you feel right now? Are you better or worse than before and why? And after you do this, you discover, you know, I'm maximally stressed when I'm talking to Ellen Langer. (laughs) <laughs> well, if that's the case, the solution is easy. Don't talk to me or talk to me differently. You know, bring talk to me in the way you talk to people when you're not stressed. And we have, in, you know, this is just part of the control we have over ourselves. You know, that placebos may be our strongest medicine. And as everybody knows, a placebo is a sugar pill or it's right. something inert. You take this thing that's nothing and you get better. Okay, so clearly you're making yourself better. And all of my work is designed to find out how to do that more directly, where we don't need to go to a doctor. And people would be surprised. I don't know if I should reveal this or not, but much of the medication that we're uh, prescribed are in fact placebos. But so you go to a doctor, you get a placebo, you take this placebo, and now you get better. One of the things that people don't realize, and there's no reason why people who aren't scientists necessarily should, is that experiments, the medical experiments, all experiments only give us probabilities. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, those probabilities say that if we were to do the exact same study again, and we can never do the exact same study, uh, but let's say we could, we're likely to get the same findings. Those are translated as absolutes. You have cancer, horses don't eat meat, one and one is two, so on and so forth. And so the first thing we have to do when we're given a diagnosis is say, well, you know, okay, maybe, maybe not. 
And even if so, it doesn't mean it has to follow any particular course. Because once we assume that we have this disease and this disease you know, follows plan A, B, and C, then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Right. And I believe that way back when, when people were told cancer is a killer, that many of the deaths that occurred were not a function of the cancer, but a function of giving up because of the belief that the cancer is a killer. And you showed, you gave a wonderful illustration. It's early in your book talking about being diagnosed as pre-diabetes and showing like that borderline, like yeah. that 5.5 difference yeah. to 5.6. And I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah. Okay. So, and you want to tell everybody, but I want to tell it. No, I want you to tell it because <laughs> I'm going to mess it up. <laughs> okay. I don't think so, but as I said, I'm on a roll. All right. So, you know, uh, this what I call the borderline effect, if people just imagine, so let's say, Paula, you and I take an IQ test and you get a 70, that means you're normal. I get a 69, that means I'm cognitively deficient, what we used to call retarded. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, nobody in their right mind, even if you know nothing about statistics, would think there's a meaningful difference between 69 and 70. Right. I could have sneezed, misread the question, you know, so on and so forth. All right. However, once we're in those two different categories, our lives unfold in very different ways. And everybody knows we treat you differently from poor me who is cognitively mm -hmm. deprived. All right. Well, it's the same for every diagnosis. There are some people who fall right above the line saying you're healthy, those who fall right below it, which means you have the disease. Now, if those two groups are not different at the start and, you know, go forward a month, three months, six months, and they're different, well, what's causing that difference? They're the same and now they're different. It's their psychology. And all of that, again, speaks to the control we have over our health. And if we have so much control over our health, how do we think better? Because as you point out in this in your book, every thought we have affects our health. Yeah, so, that, that's the mind-body unity. It's one thing. So and how so, do we think better? Yeah, how do okay. we start practicing that? Well, you don't, you don't have to practice it. All you need to do is recognize that the things you're taking as real can be understood differently from different perspectives. And the more mindful you are, the more choices you have. So if you just recognize that things themselves, as I said before, are neither good nor bad, whether or not we experience things are good or bad depends on our perspective. The more mindful, the more choices we have again. Now, if you think of anything that you think is bad and just sort of think of your friends and all the people you know and have known, is everybody responding to it the same way? Well, if not, you know, then what are they doing differently? You know, that it's not the thing. Events don't cause stress and unhappiness. Our views of events cause stress and unhappiness. Let me tell you about something that had happened to me many years ago. I was at a friend's house for dinner. It was late. And I came back to my house and my house had been burned to the ground. So the next day I called the our insurance agent. And he comes out and he said, in the 25 years he's been doing this work, this was the very first time that the call wasn't as bad as the damage. You know, everybody, oh my God, oh my God. And you see it, and it's not so bad. Here was the reverse because I had already lost all of that. Right. You know, getting myself crazy, throwing my sanity away also wasn't going to help. There's so much to say about this, but let me jump to the end. This was around Christmas. 
And uh, so I was staying in a hotel. I went out Christmas Eve and I got back to the hotel and my room was full of gifts, not from the people who own the hotel, not from the management, but from the so-called little people, the chambermaids, the waiter, waiters, waitresses, the people who parked my car. You know, it's only recently that I'm able to tell the story without it bringing tears to my eyes. Now, I'm not saying everybody should hope that you know they experience a major fire, but I must say that I remember virtually nothing that I lost in the fire. And every Christmas, I think about this, and it renews my faith in people. So was it good or bad? That's just incredible. The perception and the perspective makes such a big difference, and. Th- I think that was so amazing throughout this book, the way that's emphasized over and over. There are so many stories. First of all, you're such a wonderful storyteller and you have so many excellent stories and examples of how our mind can really change our outcomes. And and I do want to ask you one thing I hear a lot of, probably because of, of recent birthdays, I hear so much my people around me talking about how I'm too old to do this. I can't do yeah. something like this because um, I'm old. To put that in perspective, my my partner who is older than I am is participating in a CrossFit tournament tomorrow. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Like, don't tell no, me. No, I think it's terrible. The how other does that day, affect our aging process. If well, we're of course, you know, constantly you, saying that. Okay, so if we associate old with becoming decrepit, losing your memory, uh, falling apart. As soon as you see yourself old, you're going to attend to the ways you're falling apart and so on. And some of it doesn't have to be a mystery. You know, if you're 20 years old and you hurt your wrist, you do things to make your wrist better. Mm-hmm. If you're 70 years old and you hurt your wrist, too often people say, well, what do you expect? I'm 70 years old. I'm starting to fall apart. You know, and so then it becomes you don't do anything. And so it does get worse. Yeah, no, I think, well, I, I may be strange in this regard. I don't know. The other day I was helping a woman with something, and an old woman, I thought, and my spouse told me, you know, she's probably 10 years younger than you are. So I've never let age influence what I do. Now, there right. are changes as you get older, but I see the changes. Most of them is glorious, mm-hmm. you know, not to worry about some of the silly things we used to worry about when we were younger. I absolutely love that. And one thing that you talk about, it's an assertion that we think we are doing the best we can, that we're doing great. But you say that we aren't, that we're not even close to doing the best we can. Talk about what you mean with that. Well, you know, I don't want people who are feeling good that they're doing well to to feel bad. All I'm suggesting is whatever is, there can be more. And that we need to not limit ourselves with the notion of limits. You know, this may be a little far afield again, but uh, years ago I was on the Committee on Aging at the Harvard Medical School and my friend Jack Rowe, who was the chair, I called him and I said, Jack, how long does it take for a broken finger to heal? And he said, I don't know, a week. I said, what would you say if I said I could heal it in five days? He said, all right. I said, what about four days? He said, "Mm, all right. I said, what about three days? He said, no. (laughs) I said, okay, what about three days and 23 hours? You know, where is the point where here we can do it and here we can't do it? And so for anything that we want to do, there's a step that's small enough between where we are and where we want to get to that we can take it. And if that doesn't work, 
make it a little smaller. You know, somebody is trying. So, you know, Zeno was a Greek philosopher and Zeno's paradox with respect to distance was if you always go half the distance from where you are to where you want to get, you're never going to be there. I'm an inch away. I'm a half an inch away. I'm a quarter of an inch. Zeno was a um, a cynic. Langer's reverse Zeno is that there's always a step small enough from where you are to where you want to get. So you want to not eat the box of cookies you eat. Okay, eat half the box. You can't eat half the box, eat a quarter of the. You can't, everybody can eat a crumb less. And that's a new starting point. And then we're able to achieve all sorts of things that we were oblivious to before. I mean, there, there's so much that we have wrong, even notions of fatigue. We have lots of research that I report in the book on this, but let me give you the overall so it's easy to understand. If I say to people, do 100 jumping jacks and tell me when you get tired, most people are going to get tired around 67. Mm-hmm. If I ask you to do 200 jumping jacks, most people get tired around 140. Amazing. Right? You know, and so that's why I'm saying that. What we build into everything we do is a mistaken notion of limits. You can never, there is no experiment, no science that can prove that we can't. All we can prove with science is that what we tried on our personal science, so to speak, what we've tried didn't work. And trying new things is is fun. People think they want to be perfect at things. You can either be imperfectly mindful or perfectly mindless. Once you've got it, you don't pay attention to it anymore. You want to win, play tic-tac-toe against a four-year-old. <laughs> you, know, you can always win. People play golf, think they want to get a hole in one in each shot. Well, if you do that, now there's no game. Yes, and they lose their being special. Exactly. Right. So trying new things with your health, with uh, your performance, is actually energy begetting. Mindfulness, we found very clearly, makes us more energized, happier. When you're mindful, people see you as more charismatic. They see you as more authentic. Relationships improve. Mind, being mindful in this active noticing way even leaves its imprint on the things that we do. So it, it feels good. It's good for you. Everybody responds. But again, why not? <laughs> because it's fun. It's what you're doing when you're having fun. So if you came to my house, Paula, you've never been here. You don't have to practice being mindful. You assume, gee, it's all going to be new. So you take it all in. Right. And what I'm trying to explain to people is that everything is new. We just make it old by holding our mindsets about it still. The underlying phenomenon is always changing, always potentially exciting. And our job is then to notice it and and curate our thoughts as we walk through that. That Enjoy our thoughts. Yeah. yeah. I love that. So we are going to tell our listeners how they can find you, where they can find your books. But what do they do right now as, as they're listening to this and as, uh, they're saying, yeah, I want to create chronic health in my life and I want to notice more. What are a couple of things that you would tell them to start doing right now? Okay, well, the first thing is to make a universal attribution for uncertainty. I don't know. You don't know. Nobody knows. We can't know because everything is always changing. Everything looks different from a different perspective. So you don't need to pretend, you know, and not knowing is a good thing. It makes us curious. It makes us involved in what we're doing. Every time you hear yourself 
call yourself something negative or see somebody else in some pejorative way, recognize that there's a, an alternative that's equally potent to that that's positive, that's going to make you feel better and also um, improve your relationship. I think that just by realizing that this act of noticing is good, that no matter what we know, there's always a new way to know it. I think people will begin all of this. Now, you know, we've all been trapped in being mindless. Even, you know, when I asked you how much is one and one, you said two without thinking, you know, <laughs> but at the least what people can do is when they're unhappy about something is to remind themselves of all that we're saying now. You know, how else might they look at the situation? How might that thing actually have more than a silver lining? The silver lining sounds like it's just on the bottom. It's not so important. I'm saying the whole thing, you know, is actually an advantage. Then, of course, I must say that when you forget everything that I've said, you go back to the book and you look at it again. I love that. And reread it. I love that. You have so much to teach us. This information is truly life-changing. And and I'm I'm so happy that that it was shared with me and that we were able to talk about it. And I appreciate all the research and the information that you're bringing into this world because you really are changing the way that we look at our bodies and the way that we move through this world. Thank you very much, Paula. That was Dr. Ellen J. Langer talking about the mind-body connection and how it affects our health. If you'd like to learn more about Ellen and her new book, The Mindful Body, Thinking Our Way to Chronic Health, learn about her other books or follow her on social media, just visit us at livehappy.com and click on the podcast tab. That is all we have time for today. We'll meet you back here again next week for an all-new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one.